Chapter Seven of A Soldier's Letters to Charming Nelly. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Asterix. A Soldier's Letters to Charming Nelly by J. B. Polly. Chapter Seven. Second Manassas continued. Letter of October the eighth, eighteen sixty two, continued. Silence. We could well observe the command. Surrounded by the enemy, it was a pretty tale to be told on Texans who had come two thousand miles to capture the Yankee nation and force it to terms that they had carelessly walked into a trap and surrendered without firing a gun in defence of the flags they had sworn to bathe in floods of glory. Chagrined and mortified, Texas pride humbled into the dust who wanted to talk. These were, of course, first thoughts. Second ones embraced the difficulties and exigencies of the situation and the chances of escape, but were far from pleasant and comforting. But the humiliation we felt was self-inflicted, the fears idle, the difficulties imaginary. Within an hour, General Hood found a gap in the circumvailing lines. Then he rode, first to Longstreet's headquarters and next to Lee's, and asked leave to remain where he was and begin the attack at daylight. He argued that the enemy, imagining they had cooped up only one regiment, would be demoralized and easily routed when attacked by two such brigades as his and whiting's overruled by his superiors however he returned to the command which led by him marched in darkness with bated breath and without the rattle of a cup or a canteen between two federal brigades and at daylight confronted the foe whose clutches it had so narrowly escaped in the same position it had occupied the day before. Had I been consulted previous to learning of the getting-out place, I should certainly have endorsed Hood's plan, but not after the avenue of escape was not only pointed out, but we had availed ourselves of it. Then I joined most heartily with my comrades in congratulating ourselves on having, as an illiterate fellow said, so skilfully unsurrounded ourselves. The day and night's work cost us the slight wounding of a few men and the capture of Bill Calhoun of Company B, 4th Texas. This Bill Calhoun is an oddity of whom we are very proud. Always sad of countenance, there yet dwells in the recesses of his bosom a spirit of constantly effervescing drollery, which now and then, and when least expected, bubbles over and explodes. His messmate and bedfellow is Davidge. Carrying out their plan of an equitable division of labour, Davidge, on the day we passed through Manassas Gap, was entrusted with the blankets, while Bill charged himself with the transportation of the provisions and limited culinary apparatus. Davidge straggled, and, when camp was reached at night, was non est inventus. Confident he would come soon, Bill prepared supper, and, Davidge still not appearing, ate it all himself, lighted his pipe, smoked and chattered a while, and then, remarking that Davidge would be along soon, 
stretched himself out on the bare ground to rest but here in virginia the nights are cool enough even in july to make covering acceptable and though bill endured the hardness of his couch and the chilliness of the night with unbroken placidity until midnight he could stand it no longer rising and standing erect in the midst of five thousand recumbent forms darkening the moonlit hillside he broke into magniloquent apostrophe oh davidge davidge friend of my bosom and possessor of my blanket where art thou davidge this cold and comfortless night art thou indeed false to thy many professions false to the sacred obligations of true and loyal friendship thou hast sworn oblivious of duty and forgetful of the friend who hath confided to thee even the blanket on which he dependeth for protection from the chilling blasts of winter art thou now reclining peacefully and blissfully on some hospitable feather-bed dreaming of the joys that will come when this cruel war is o'er or art thou beguiled and betrayed by the demon of intemperance and a damnable thirst for applejack wallowing like a hog in the dust before the door of some disreputable mountain still-house while i thy friend and messmate thy boon companion in happiness and adversity stand here alone a homeless houseless orphan his wandering footsteps guided only by the pale light of yonder refulgent orb of night his shivering body covered only by the blue canopy of the sky and his restless slumber watched over only by the myriads of twinkling stars that shine in the heavens above me alas davidge thou trusted friend companion and confidant of my youth and manhood thou hast been weighed in the balance and found wanting the surrounding and circumambient circumstances are proof strong as holy writ that i have been duped deceived outwitted and ungratefully left to encounter the slings and arrows of misfortune alone and unsustained by any human aid and dropping from the sublime to the ridiculous bill nudged the nearest man with his foot and said in a voice of entreaty that would have melted the hardest heart save al giles let me get under the blanket with you if you don't i'll be a standing monument before morning of man's inhumanity to man i have told you this story to prepare you for that of bill's capture as related by a confederate who was near enough to see and hear everything but laid low and kept dark lest he too should be captured it is so in keeping with bill's unique character that no one doubts it Bill was on the skirmish line, and, like myself, lost sight of his Confederate friends and got too far to the front. Carrying his gun in both hands, with a finger on the hammer ready to cock it, at the first glimpse of an enemy, he was suddenly brought to a halt by the harsh and totally unexpected command, "'Surrender, you damned rebel! Throw down your gun and surrender!' such language followed as it was by the threatening click of half a dozen gun-locks was not to be treated lightly bill's fingers simultaneously released their grip on his mini rifle and dropped it clanging to the hard stony ground 
Then he looked to his right and saw, behind a clump of bushes he had almost passed, a squad of Yankees. They were within twenty feet of him, and one of them stood with cocked and leveled gun pointed directly at his breast. Bill was no fool. The enemy had the drop on him, and any appearance of hesitation on his part might be unhealthy. Therefore he made haste to say, in a voice pitched at a key plainly to be heard, of course i surrender who the devil is talking about not surrendering the celerity with which the gun was dropped the odd manner of surrendering and the absurd question asked set the yankee to laughing at such a rate that he forgot to lower his weapon but kept it pointing in the general direction of the captive as warningly as his shaking sides would permit noticing this bill protested earnestly see here mister please quit pinting that gun at me i've done surrendered and the darn thing might go off unbeknownst to you oh answered the yankee between bursts of laughter but still failing to lower his gun i ain't a-going to shoot you mount as well shoot a feller at once as to scare him to death with a wobbling gun rejoined bill damned if i wasn't always afeard of a wobbling gun it's just as apt to hit you as to miss it was not until four o'clock on the evening of the thirtieth that our brigade again sought the foe the same meadow was to cross the same skirt of timber to pass through as the fourth emerged from the latter the fifth new york battery commanded by captain curran and stationed on a commanding eminence on the other side of a deep hollow devoted its whole attention to us and to show our appreciation of the courtesy we made directly for it a federal regiment between us and the battery fired one volley at us and fled as fast as legs could carry them another regiment that had been placed in a pine thicket immediately in rear of the battery as a support to it followed suit but undismayed gallant captain curran fired his guns until every artillerist was shot down and he himself fell as he was in the very act of sending into our huddled ranks a charge of grape and canister that would have sent the half of us to kingdom come a braver spirit than his never dwelt in the breast of man you would never have captured my battery said he as at his request a texan laid him under one of the guns and placed a knapsack under his head if my supports had been men instead of cowards we fully agreed with him looking up the hill a strange and ghastly spectacle met our eyes an acre of ground was literally covered with the dead dying and wounded of the fifth new york zouaves the variegated colours of whose peculiar uniform gave the scene the appearance of a texas hillside in spring painted with wild flowers of every hue and colour not fifty of the zouaves escaped whole one of their lieutenants who had lost an arm told me that they were in the second line of the breastworks which the fourth texas had carried at gaines mill a month before that in the mad retreat of the first line of federals they had been swept away and that on learning the position in the confederate line occupied by our brigade here at second manassas they had made a special request of general pope to be permitted to confront us on the thirtieth and regain the laurels lost at gaines mill there they met the fourth texas and suffered ignominious defeat here they came face to face for a minute only with the fifth texas and suffered practical annihilation 
the zouaves it seems were posted just under the crest of the hill and a hundred feet from the edge of the timber and fired the moment the heads of the texans showed above the crest of course they aimed too high and before they could reload the texans poured such a well-directed and deadly volley into their closely formed ranks that half of them sank to the ground and the balance wheeled and ran not waiting to reload the texans rushed after the fugitives and clubbing their muskets continued the work of destruction until every enemy in sight was left prone upon the ground then as general hood said the fifth texas slipped its bridle and went wild had they not been recalled they would have gone right on to the potomac that night i was aroused from deep slumber by the sound of merriment rising to a sitting posture i asked my disturber what in the name of common sense are you laughing about at this ungodly hour jim about those damned zouaves said he you know that belgian rifle with a bore almost as big as a cannon that i showed you this morning well i was with the fifth when it struck those fancy dress fellows i didn't shoot when the balance did but just waited until the scoundrels got well huddled together as they ran down the hill and getting about twenty of them in line i put my gun to the back of the nearest one and pulled the trigger and damned if i don't believe i killed the whole posse comitatus honestly i shuddered with horror and disgust the idea of such bloodthirstiness as would permit a man to laugh over the slaughter of so many men is repulsive i am not writing history charming nelly only endeavouring to paint a few scattering lights and shadows of this terrible war the anecdote i have just told is a darker shadow than usual so let me lighten it by another jim ferris of the fifth texas found himself at second manassas in a dilapidated condition externally the legs of his pants lacked several inches of the proper length and in the absence of a pair of socks his ankles had been sadly lacerated by the briars and brambles through which he had been compelled to scramble in skirmishing while running wild with his regiment when it slipped the bridle on the thirtieth it occurred to his mind that he might supply deficiencies in his raiment by administering on the estate of some dead yankee a pair of leggings to button around the calves of his legs would answer his purposes admirably he thought and he resolved to have them it was midnight though before he began operations being a very large man himself only the body of a large man could be depended upon to supply jim's need and in the search for such a one he wandered to and fro over the silent field of the dead until awed by the solemnity of his surroundings cold chills began to run down his back at the least noise and he expected every minute to encounter a ghost finally he found a corpse of apparently suitable size and hastily turning back from its legs the oilcloth which covered it from head to foot began with no gentle hand to unbutton a legging at the first jerk the supposed deadest of all the many dead flung the oilcloth from his head and rising to a sitting posture exclaimed great god alive man don't rub me before i am dead if you please in horrified amazement jim sprang twenty feet at one bound but knowing no ghost would speak so sensibly natural politeness prompted instant apology 
Indeed, Mr. Yankee, said he, in the most gentle and winning tone he could assume, I hadn't the least idea you were alive, or I never would have been guilty of the discourtesy of disturbing you. Please pardon me and let me know what I can do to make amends for my rudeness. I would like a drink of water, said the revived corpse. Take my canteen, sir, rejoined Jim, instantly offering it, and please oblige me by keeping it. I can easily get another. After this experience, Jim decided that, rather than risk waking another corpse, he would do without leggings but on his way to camp he came across a stalwart form lying at full length on the ground, and at the very first glance saw that here could be obtained the needed articles. No mistake must be made, though, and so, laying his hand on the shoulder of the Yankee, he gave him a shake and asked, "'Say, mister, are you dead or alive?' There was no response, and next morning Jim Ferris strutted about the camp in a magnificent pair of linen leggings. Note 3. Following Gaines Mill, Hood's brigade was under heavy fire at Savage Station, Fraser's Farm, and Malvern Hill, but not being actively engaged, its casualties were trifling. A few days after the last of these engagements, it went into camp near Richmond, where it rested for something over a month. Marching thence about the 10th of August, it participated in fierce skirmishes at Kelly's Ford and Freeman's Ford, and in a sharp battle at Hazel River, losing, however, few men. These actions are not mentioned in any of the letters for the double reason that the author was not then with the brigade, and the engagements in themselves were unimportant. At Thoroughfare Gap, mentioned in Letter 6, but two regiments of the brigade did any fighting of consequence, the 4th Texas, fortunately, doing none. End of chapter 7